together. Heavenly Father, as we come now to open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that as that tomb was open on that first Easter morning, so our hearts too may be opened to receive your word, your Holy Spirit, the very presence of God within us. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. Please sit down. Easter morning, it was the dawn of a new day. The dawn of a day that would change the relationship between God and man forever. The dawn of a day that would see sin and death defeated. And the dawn of a day when the sun would never set on the new kingdom of God. We move on Easter morning from the dark winter of death to the radiant summer of eternal life. The first time I ever went to Finland, it was mid-January, and it was memorable for one thing. I arrived mid-afternoon, and it was already dark. I went to meetings, dinner, hotel, more meetings, back to the airport, and I never saw daylight. As the plane took off, the first light of dawn was breaking over the eastern sky. And when I came home, I was asked, how was your visit? Dark was the answer. Not a glimmer of light for the 16 hours I was there. And it was dark when Jesus had gone into Gethsemane with his disciples. It was dark when Judas and the soldiers came to arrest him. It was dark when he was tried and tortured. It was dark when he was sentenced to death. And although it was day when he was crucified, the sun stopped shining. The world stood in darkness as he hung and suffered there. And as the woman, women set off on Easter Sunday morning for the tomb, it was dark. There was a pervasive darkness, darkness that's both physical and darkness that is spiritual. John 3.19 says this, This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light. There was darkness in the sky, darkness in the deeds of evil men crucifying Jesus. And there's darkness in the heart of every one of us. It gives to me meaning to the words that Wesley wrote in that hymn. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. The darkness of that first Easter morning was broken by the rays of the rising sun in the east. But it was also broken by the rising of another sun. John 1.4 says, in him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Darkness will not overcome the rising Son of God. Darkness could not hold on to its victim. Hell has to give up its prisoner. The grave yields the casualty of our sin. The devil wanted to defeat that rising sun. But death could not hold him. 
The price is paid and death no longer can hold Jesus captive. Light has triumphed over darkness. Life has triumphed over death. You know how Wesley's hymn continues. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Life and light for the risen sun, and life and light for us too. The women are visiting the garden tomb in the early morning, and they are confronted by a light in this new dawn. They are confronted with messengers who the Bible says were gleaming like lightning. The darkness had evaporated and light had returned. That dark tomb, the dungeon, flamed with light. Light not just in the presence of these gleaming messengers, but light from the message they brought. He is risen, he is risen, he's not here, he is risen. God's eternal plan is now complete. The sun is risen, he is victorious, and we're set free. He is alive, and in him we are alive too. No condemnation now I dread. Jesus and all in him is mine. Alive in him my living head, and clothed with righteousness divine. Bold I approach the eternal throne, and claim the crown through Christ my own. So what does this resurrection mean to us? The people of God, those who have believed in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, those who've repented of their sins and claimed that righteousness of Christ, what does his resurrection mean for us? Well, tonight I briefly want to look at two things. Firstly, it shows us the possibility of mankind's resurrection. And secondly, the certainty of our resurrection, the possibility of mankind's resurrection and the certainty of our resurrection. In our reading from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, which Ray brought to us, the Apostle Paul says that Christ, through his resurrection, has become the first fruits of those who have died. The first fruits. Now, the Bible talks a lot about first fruits. In the Old Testament, the first fruits were an offering that were given to God, uh, the first offering of the first crop of the harvest. And it's from those Old Testament first fruits that we get our principle of giving, to give the first tenth, the tithe of our income to the work of God. But there's another meaning to first fruits. And by the giving of the first part of the harvest to God, the remainder of the harvest was also made holy. The first fruits are a representative of the whole. And the first fruits are blessed, and the remainder of the harvest is blessed too. If one is consecrated, all is consecrated. This week I've had a new passport come through. It needed renewing and we've got it through. And years ago, I used to travel through Heathrow Airport on a, an almost weekly basis. And because of the long immigration queues, I had chosen to have my iris in my eye electronically registered. So when you come back into Heathrow and you get to immigration, 
You don't have to give your passport in. You just go up to this machine, put your eye against it, and it recognises you and lets you through. Now, although it was only my eye that was scanned, the whole of me was let through. It wasn't just my eye that they let through. <laughs> my eye is a representative part of me, of my whole body, and we are the body of Christ. He is our first fruits, he is our representative, but we are one with him. And because he was made holy, we too are holy. So with Christ as our first fruits, his resurrection shows us that it is possible for us too. Jesus shows us that it's possible to rise from death to eternal life. He was the first to break that power of death. And as our first fruit, he broke death's power for us too. All who have ever lived have been subject to death. And even those who were raised to life again sooner or later died. In this uh, chapter in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 22, we read, As in Adam, all die. But as Christ broke the power of death, he broke it for us as well. His resurrection shows that, that for us too, resurrection is possible. But possible isn't good enough, is it? We don't want it to be possible. Christ's resurrection shows us the certainty of our resurrection. If Christ is raised, then it is certain that we who are in Christ will be raised too. He is our representative, just as Adam was. Because Adam sinned, all those in Adam sin too. That's us, his descendants. And because Christ has been raised, so all those in Christ cannot but be raised. Man has two heads. Adam is the head of death, but Christ is the head of eternal life. But it's not just raised back to life on the final day when Christ returns. It's raised to eternal life. And not eternal life sometime in the future, but it's eternal life now. It's eternal life here this evening. It's eternal life this very minute. In you this evening is the seed of that first fruit. It's the seed of the Holy Spirit. He's your deposit. He's the one who legally guarantees that you are in Christ. Maybe with this lovely weather, your mind goes to booking holidays. Well, if you go and book a holiday, or if you buy a house, you pay a deposit. It makes a legal contract. And so the Holy Spirit is a legal guarantee of our eternal life. The Holy Spirit adds certainty to the possibility of eternal life and resurrection. Later in that 1 Corinthians 15 chapter in verse 55, Paul says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's no need to fear death. Death is defeated. Death is history. This week has been school holidays week, and in common with many grandparents, we've had a house full of grandchildren, five in our case. And one of the challenges that Belinda gives them after tea 
is that she has a whole load of discussion questions that she's written on giant, giant lolly sticks. And the children have to pick out one of these uh, at random and answer the question that's on it. Well, the youngest one who was there is called Joash, who is five, and he read out his question, and it said this. What is the best thing about being the oldest or the middle or the youngest child in your family? He thought a minute. Well, he's the youngest, the youngest of three. And he thought, and he said, the youngest don't die first. <laughs> Even from a young age, we think death is something to be feared. But the empty tomb is the dawning of a new day, the dawning of a new life. Our first fruits has risen from the dead, and so we too will rise. Not hopefully, not probably, but absolutely, definitely. Death holds no fear. He's a defeated enemy, and Jesus is victorious. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. And as with Mary, tonight Jesus calls us by our name. We're going to sing later, Thine be the glory, risen, conquering Son. Endless is the victory thou or death hast won. As we celebrate his resurrection, may God grant us the assurance that with it he has guaranteed our resurrection too. And to him be the glory now and in all eternity. Amen.